Please enjoy this previously recorded segment. Welcome to the HR Power Hour, presented by Career Management Associates. I'm David Chulo. It's about all things in the human resource world. We're going to bring in local, regional, and national guests, and we're going to talk about a variety of topics and explain why human resource management is critical to your business success so that you can make decisions to keep and retain great talent. And you're listening to the HR Power Hour presented by CMAcareer.com and Barrel-Law.com. I'm your host, David Julo, and you're listening to HR Educational Radio today on WLOB 100.5 FM. Carrington Smith is our guest today. She is the author of the book, Blooming, Finding Gifts in the Shit of Life. Carrington, welcome to the show. Hi, David. Thanks so much for having me today. No, it's great to have you on. You know, obviously the audience doesn't know you yet. They will. But (laughs) I've had the opportunity to read a lot about you and, and learn about your history, which you've provided in your biography. So let me make sure I read this correctly so that we we have this. So single mom, attorney, business owner, executive search professional. And then there's a ton of other stuff here. Has survived sexual assault, two divorces, piles of debt, abuse, religious mind gains, the death of loved ones, and the loss of close friends. And yet you still are able to talk to us today. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) It's amazing. I mean, you have quite a history. You know, you put that all together, and I guess I would say, no wonder you wrote a book. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I think of myself as just being very ordinary. And what kept me from writing a book for many years was the impression that, you know, I'm not the type of person who normally writes a memoir. I mean, you usually gravitate to someone who is a you know, recovering addict or, you know, Holocaust survivor or um, athlete or celebrity, and I'm just an ordinary person. But I came to realize it was my very ordinariness that made my story compelling to so many people. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's something when a person goes through many traumas, but you've gone through a number of traumas in your life. And I suppose when you do think about it, you're right, people go through trauma a lot, right? Yeah. Um, certainly I've had some in, in my career, in my life. What made you decide that it was time to write a book and, and provide this information to the public? Well, when COVID hit, I was watching the news and seeing all these pictures of recycling bins full of wine and liquor bottles and hearing about people, you know, committing suicide or just really struggling with not knowing how to handle what I refer to as a universal trauma to our society. And my response was quite different. I looked at it and said, wow, this is one of those historical moments where great wealth is made and opportunities abound because of this massive shift or change that's happening. And I also was suddenly, you know, equipped to say, okay, what do I need to do to get through this? You know, figure it out, come up with a plan, um, you know, gather my family together and keep them safe. I knew with you know, complete certainty. This was something I was going to get through. And I was kind of like COVID, oh, bring it. I mean, (laughs) and I realized that my response was very atypical. And the reason for my response was because I had extreme emotional resilience because I had been through so much. 
And it's, I suddenly realized that all these things that I'd written these stories about over the years, they were actually things that were, uh, that I could provide to the world in general as sort of a roadmap on how they could also approach this universal trauma and how to get through it. And so suddenly these stories or traumas that I'd had that I'd written about in the past, I was able to knit them together because I realized that it was a gift that I could give to the reader and a roadmap on how to get through trauma. When you thought about writing the book and you said, you know, I have these stories, I pulled them together, I wanted to have this, this, this moment to share with the world what has happened to me and how to get through it. Did you have doubt? No. It's funny because I had so much doubt over the years about, about myself and about the stories that I wrote. And I was like, who would care? But with COVID, I don't know. It was like I had this moment of I suddenly felt compelled to write this book. I didn't even have a choice. And when people were like, how could you be so open and vulnerable? It was easy because I suddenly realized that this was you know, not about me trying to write a book about like, I don't know, to make myself look great. This was really a gift I felt compelled to give. My heart just went out to so many people that were suffering. And I saw this was something that I could do. And I realized it was part of my life's calling. And I wrote the book in three months. Wow. It just flowed out. Yeah. Yeah. That is fast for writing a book. You know, um, you talk about in the book, we're going to get to book specifics, but I think it's important. You talk about being candid and raw, right? Being yeah. direct and telling the story. And from that, from trauma to triumph, you went through these these things in your life that you went through, the, the, the shit you said that has gone through yeah. in the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, how did family feel about this? How did, how did it impact your, your relationships? Well, starting with my immediate family, my um, ex-husband, the father of my children, I actually gave him a copy of the book in advance. I told him that I was writing this book and that there was a chapter in there that there were a few chapters where I touched on our relationship. And um, I let him have input and ended up making some changes because it was really important to me. We have a really great co-parenting relationship and it was important to me that we maintain that. So there are some changes that I made to keep that relationship intact. As far as my, um, you know, brother, sisters, mother, father, my mother passed away. Of course, my father, I don't speak to anymore. And so I really leaned heavily on my sister in particular to make sure that my stories were accurate, that her recollections were the same and that I was, you know, telling a truthful and accurate story. Um, just even in spite of all of that, um, there are many names that are changed throughout the book because my goal was never to make anybody else feel bad or harm anyone else. It was really to talk, to tell the story truthfully, but then to help the reader, you know, guide them on, on how to find a path through trauma. No, I think that that makes sense. And, and you know, it's interesting through the challenges in the book, you you talk about the fact that you've done that. You are still being harmonious with these people in many yeah. cases to ensure that that it isn't a, a quote unquote damaging book past, yeah. past that point. That's they're very commendable. You know, the other thing I notice when you're when you're talking about the book is that you're talking to people about what they could do differently, how they could see things or see things in a different light. 
you know, sometimes I, I interview a lot of authors and sometimes I see people writing in the third party, writing in the presence tense and the past tense. Why did you take the, the, the decision to write it the way you did? Well, first of all, I did. I wrote it very differently in another way, too. I did not write it chronologically. I wrote it by topic. And part of the reason for that is I realized that many of my life experiences were things that people could relate to. And if they didn't, I, I recognize that not everybody has the time to read an entire book. And if for some reason there was a topic that really related to them, I wanted them to be able to easily find that topic in the book and flip to that chapter. So like there's a chapter on divorce, there's a chapter on losing my mother, there's um, a chapter on body dysmorphia. So I wrote it more topically uh, so that you know, the readers could quickly find what they needed from the book. So, no, I understand you took it in that direction. Oh, by the way, you're listening to the HR Power Hour. I'm your host, David Chulo. Our guest today is Carrington Smith. We're talking about the book Blooming Finding Gifts in the Shit of Life. Um, Carrington, you know, give me some reasons why people tend to feel like they're not good enough. You talk about that in the book, and why is it that people feel that way? Well, it really has a lot to do with, first of all, uh, I'll say in my, in my case, anyway, a lot of times it starts with the parents or that the family that's there when you're, you know, a child, whether that is parents or grandparents or whoever that is. And it's the messages they plant with you, whether you are, um, well, uh, one thing that I think our generation did a lot of is we were a good girl, bad girl, good boy, bad boy. It was never, you know, I, you're a good girl, but I don't like your decisions. It was, you were just bad. I mean, so there was a lot of negative self-talk that was sort of embedded in our generation. Uh, I think now it's sort of moved a different direction a little bit, but it's those, those uh, people in your childhood that sort of teach you that, um, that mental mindset or that internal dialogue that you have. And then as you grow older, you continue to replicate that. And as for me, it was like having an eight track tape in my head. <laughs> yeah, as soon as people remember what an eight track tape oh, is, right. but okay. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> or a cassette tape or a CD. But I mean, it was that constant um, internal dialogue. I mean, I would hear my father's voice constantly. And every time I did something wrong or made a mistake, no one had to tell me I was busy ripping myself a new asshole. I mean, I just would tear myself up. I would cut myself down. And one of the ways that I exhibited that for people who thought everything was great with me was my sense of humor. I think as people who really understand comedians know, I mean, a lot of humor comes from pain. And I was the queen of that self-deprecating humor. I mean, I would make fun of myself constantly. And it's taken me years to divorce myself from that, to realize that is not a healthy thing. And to instead start having loving conversations with myself about my behavior. And if I make a mistake saying, okay, you made a mistake, let's learn from it, but let's move on, let's move through it. Um, and having more of a, a caring, loving dialogue with myself. No, that makes a lot of sense. What do you think causes self-loathing, though, in, in at the bottom line? I mean, we other than the fact that we are obviously we've been taught it, but what else? What else supports that through life? Well, there are other things like being bullied. Um, in you know, in my case, in eighth grade, uh, a guy sent me a carnation on Valentine's Day with a note that said. You look like the witch and puffin stuff signed the boys from the eighth grade class. Yes. So as a, you think about a middle-aged girl 
who's so concerned about her appearance to get something like that from a boy who doesn't just assign it to himself, but to the entire group of boys in the eighth grade class, you can only imagine how I was full of self-loathing. I thought I was hideous. I really believe that because I also had a father who told me the same. And of course, your listeners can't see me, but I've since learned that I'm very much the opposite of being hideous. Um, I've been told I'm beautiful, but I didn't believe that. And it was this constant just, you know, dialogue with myself about how ugly and horrible I was. So it's, 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 it's people, it's social media, it's your family, it's all these negative inputs that come in. And it's, it's really tough for people to separate themselves from that and realize that, you know, they actually are lovable just as they are today without changing. So I don't know anybody who watched the Oscars, uh, Jessica Chastain, what she said about how important it is just to feel loved um, for who you are as you are today. I, I totally believe that. Well, you know, it's it's interesting you mentioned social media. And, um, you know, I think social media certainly has exasperated a lot of the challenges with, especially if you look at some of the issues having to do with Instagram and reels and some of the things in in terms of young women. Um, But it's really become a problem because, you know, all the filters and everything change what everybody looks like. And so you have this, this false sense of what beauty is or this false sense of what good, bad, and different is. So it's, it's interesting. And it's a very honest conversation. I think it does apply to the workplace as well, because people are hearing they're good, they're bad, but it's really the decisions or what they're doing that may be good or bad in terms of achieving to that end. So I can see where that absolutely fits in it. Uh, have you seen social media playing a, a, a relevance in terms of how people really feel about themselves today? A hundred percent. I mean, and, and actually, it was, uh, I think it was maybe uh, someone else I was listening today who was talking about with the Zoom call, how we look at ourselves more and more. And we're constantly then picking apart our appearance because we're staring at images of ourselves more and more. Um, yeah, as far as social media goes, it's funny, I'm single and, and so I, I'm, I'm dating. And what I get from people, because I don't use filters, I get from people, wow, you look better than your photos, which I can only imagine the majority of the time it's the opposite because most people now use filters on their photos. Can you imagine when you first meet somebody and your first feeling is disappointment? I mean, I have a saying, and that is it's an Instagram world and I'm living life unfiltered. And that's how I choose to live my life because I want people to love me, not some false image of me. Well, that is a very, very reputable way of doing it. It's much more authentic as well. And yes. Of course, you're listening to the HR Power Hour on News Talk WLOB 100.5 FM. And we will be back with Carrington Smith and about her book, Blooming, right after these messages. Founded in 1958, Jackson Lewis is a national law firm with a local presence. The firm's 765 attorneys practicing in 54 locations throughout the U.S. and Puerto Rico provide a wide range of resources to address every aspect of the employer-employee relationship. HR professionals, business, and in-house counsels and C-suite professionals count on Jackson Lewis as it has one of the most active employee litigation practices in the United States. Contact them today at jacksonlewis.com. 
That's jacksonlewis.com. Hi, I'm Susan McVetty. And I'm Pete McVetty from McVetty's Hearth and Home. Is there a sale going on at the store right now? No. No Hearthstone, Quadrifier, Mendota, Wittis, Blaze King, or Morso sale? No. No Yodel, Vermont Castings, or Regency? Oh, there's always a Regency sale. No. You're telling me that out of the gazillions of wood, gas, and pellet stoves that we carry, there's not a single sale going on? Nope. Oh, what about patio furniture, awnings, grills, smokers, and aluminum docks? No, just because there isn't a big sale going on doesn't mean that we're not having great deals and still doing free estimates for anyone needing a heating appliance. Oh, well, good. Just let me know when we're having another sale. Okay, there's always a bargain to be had if you are looking for one. And we don't need a new heating appliance. Well, maybe my sister needs one, or my friend, or your sister. Stop by McVetty's Hearth and Home at 893 Route 1 in Yarmouth, or check out our website at stovesofmaine.com for the latest information, including our sales. Really? I have to check out the website? Really? And I can't believe Regency isn't having a sale. Being a father is an honor, a challenge, a duty, a celebration, and a testimony. I want to be legendary for you because I found everything to live for. That's dedication. Visit fatherhood.gov to hear more. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. In a recent survey, investors shared what they felt were the greatest threats to their retirement. It's no surprise the most common threats include stock market volatility, economic uncertainty, conflict in the Middle East. Unfortunately, there are many threats beyond your control that can affect your retirement savings. At GoldCo, a leader in precious metals, the team believes one way to protect your investment portfolio is with physical gold and silver. GoldCo will send you a free one-ounce silver American Eagle coin. And all you have to do is pay for shipping and handling. No obligation. 100% free. Call 855-971-2006 to get your free silver American Eagle coin. In today's highly regulated climate, customized HR solutions are needed more than ever. Career Management Associates can partner with your existing HR department for projects or even serve as your outsourced HR team. From compliance and compensation to investigations and employer relations, CMA provides you trusted HR solutions. Call 207-780-1125 or visit cmacareer.com. Hey, we're back, and you're listening to the HR Power Hour, presented by cmacareer.com and barrel-law.com. I'm your host, David Chulo. You're listening to Educational HR Radio. Remember, the HR Power Hour can be heard on not only hrpowerhour.com, but also on WLOB Radio, 100.5 FM, and podcasts on all national podcast channels. Please like, click, and learn. We appreciate you each and every day. Clicking in and learning as well. We're here with our guest, Carrington Smith. She's, of course, the author of the book, Blooming, Finding Gifts in the Shit of Life. Yes, you heard me right. Finding Gifts in the Shit of Life. You know, we're going to talk here about some of the details of the book. But you talk about shit is quite literally fertilizer. It is the messes, failures, trauma, and difficulties of life that we discover what we need to bloom in our greatness. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, Where do you take this right from the beginning? How do you really see it that way? Was it how you always felt or did it, was there a mind shift that made that happen? There was definitely a shift. And I I think that's something that's important for people to know. I, I don't want them to think that I went through all these things and scathed and was, you know, found the positive in that moment. That's not the truth. 
the truth is, I mean, these things were extremely painful and difficult. And I went through a lot of therapy. Um, but I came to realize through a lot of the work that I did, including, and I want to reference uh, the book, The Gift of Fear by Gavin DeBecker. That was a very important discovery for me in my healing process. And part of the reason for that is because Gavin, um, who this is a book I've recommended to so many people, that's just such a powerful book. But part of what I love about the book is, is his own personal story and what brought him to write the book. And that is he grew up in a household full of violence. And instead of being you know, broken and becoming a criminal himself, he used that childhood to discover and he became to believe that there is a universal code for violence. And he took that background and used it to propel him into a career of advising VIPs, presidents, celebrities on how to avoid, you know, being dealing with a stalker or, you know, dealing with other um, harmful people. And so he took his trauma, his difficulties, his hardship, and he claimed them. In other words, he looked at his shit and he found the gift in it. And he used that to propel him to greatness. I mean, he's, you know, dealing with presidents. I mean, so he went from the lowest of the low to the highest of the high, instead of ignoring what had happened to him, instead claiming it and owning it and using it to move him and propel him forward. And seeing that as a lesson, I realized, and there's also Augustine Burroughs has a wonderful quote that I have in my book about, you know, recognizing something for as horrible as it is. So don't minimize it, you know, do the work you know, get upset, feel the emotions, work through it. But then after you go through that, go back and look and see, you know, claim it and use it to um, move you forward in life and make it understand that it's now part of you, even though you don't want it to define you, it is part of the fabric of who you are and go back and find what the gift is in that to help you move forward. And that's what I've done in my life. And obviously Gavin DeBecker did in his and Augustine Burrow did it in his. So, you know, it's not just me saying this, this is something that I've learned from other people. You know, people obviously have a lot of stuff going on in their lives and there is no question. And we've said this many times as employers, um, we have to deal with the stuff that people bring us. Yes. Right? The challenges, the uniqueness, the dramas, the life histories, the dysfunction, all of that comes to work in each and every day. And, and even during the day, you don't know really what's happened from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. the next day. You have no idea what's happened in their yes. lives, typically, unless yes. they overshare on social media and tell you. But normally, right. you would not know what that information is. Yes. As you think about um, finding the gifts, how do you... How do you as an employer, maybe an HR professional, someone as a leader, really listen to your employees? How do you connect or share that empathy without necessarily going too far? How do you, how do, you do that? I think probably the most important quality that we're seeing is important today and moving forward is people are really starting to embrace authenticity. And I'm not talking about oversharing. I'm just talking about being vulnerable and my interview style, I mean, for 
again, for the listener, I mean, I, I'm an executive search professional. So I am constantly interviewing executives for the top roles in companies. And my interview style is one of revealing things about myself to get people to open up and reveal things about themselves. And that has served me really well because I've historically been able to get people to open up and share things with me they wouldn't share with their best friend. And so the one question I ask all the time in my interviews is we all have moments in life that define us. Can you, you know, take some time, think about it and share with me a moment that shaped you and how it did. And the answer to this question has been the most powerful thing in my career as far as sorting through these different people. They open up and share things like, again, emotional resilience or reframing or hope or strategic thinking. I mean, they expose different qualities that maybe I wouldn't otherwise unearth in the conversation, you know, persistence or, um, you know, taking on a task and just being tenacious. So it's when people answer this question, it's how they choose to answer it reveals so much. And I try to use that with my employees as far as always kind of being open and vulnerable. Again, not too much, not oversharing, but letting them know it's okay to come to me and say, look, I'm having a rough time about something and understanding that that's going to be met with empathy and understanding and not judgment. And that really helps to solidify those relationships. It gives me more insight into what's going on in their world. So I'm not so quick to judge, maybe if they aren't delivering on something. And it helps me understand how to better motivate them. You're, of course, listening to the HR Power Hour on News Talk WLOB 100.5 FM and, of course, podcast across all national podcast channels. I'm your host, David Chulo, HR Educational Radio. Today, Carrington Smith is with us. We're talking about her book, Blooming, Finding Gifts in the Shit of Life. Yes, I didn't, I didn't uh, stutter there. That's the title. <laughs> uh, and we've been talking about going from trauma to triumph. And I think the book does a great job of telling that story. You know, um, Carrie, what's a, what's a story you could share with the audience, which really maybe shows the impact of how this really is powerful and can move a person forward? Yeah. Well, let me give two quick stories. Um, one is when I was going through divorce, one of my friends said to me, you know, you may not want to hear this right now, but with adversity comes opportunity. And I was like, yeah, you're right. I don't want to hear that. I'm I'm busy crying. I'm mad. But that her words stayed with me and kind of tickled around the back of my brain. And as I was sorting through that trauma, I came to embrace those words and realized that it was so true. And then I, as I like to say, mindset is a muscle. Once I embraced those words, Every time something bad happened, I started looking for the opportunity in it. And it's that change of mindset that has been so powerful in my life. So, I mean, let me give you a quick example. Like say you, you, you have a flat tire and you're stuck on the side of the road and you're missing an important meeting. And so you're swearing and angry and upset. And you know, why did this have to happen to me? But if you think with adversity comes opportunity, all of a sudden you relax and say, wait, suddenly I have a free hour while I'm sitting here waiting for AAA to show up. I can call that friend that I've never had time to talk to that I've been meaning to call. Or I can listen to that podcast that I've been meaning to listen to. I suddenly have that free hour to do it. 
It's about taking that time and seeing the opportunity in it and not just descending into this despair. And so it's that mindset shift. Um, let me give one other quick story. And that is when I was, um, I went to Vegas right after the Bellagio opened and wanted to see the beautiful fountains. And so we'd made dinner reservations to eat at Olives, which was at that time, the restaurant that overlooked the fountains and had an outside patio. And as we finished our dinner, I stood up and out from under an umbrella there (laughs) to leave the table. And at that precise moment, a gust of wind hit and one of the fountains came over like a tidal wave dousing me from head to toe. Yes, I was completely soaked. And my girlfriend, who was still under the umbrella, looks over me at me with expectation, like, okay, is our night ruined? You know, what's going to happen? And I realized in that split second that I had a choice to make. And this night could be ruined. Or what I chose to do was I said to myself, what are the odds of getting hit by a fountain at the Bellagio? I was like, I've been baptized by the holy water. We're going to win tonight. And so I quickly changed and got ready. And it's one of our favorite Vegas stories. It's It turned out to be an amazing night. But it's those split second decisions that determine the outcome of many things in our life. And again, it's that mindset choice of how am I going to view this? Because the event itself is neither good nor bad. It's how I view it. The story that I tell myself that makes it so. Well, you are talking about accepting yourself, right? And making the decisions of who you are and being authentic, right? And being yes. who you are. Um, so it's, it, I will tell a funny story. I remember selling, I, I do a lot of executive coaching and I remember telling somebody and I said, well, you know, I want you to be authentic and I want to talk about that. And he goes, good, I'm a jerk. So I guess I can authentically be a jerk then, right? I go, well, no, not, not exactly what I meant by that, <laughs> he goes, but I'm authentic. And I go, well, let's, let's work on that, shall we? Because I don't think that's what we mean by that today. But yes. but it is, as you said, a choice of what people decide to do, whether they're at work or they're at personal. It is a choice that people decide. Do you find that most people want to make the right choice or is it that their that their history and that how they've been trained kind of preconceives what they're going to do? I think that there are honestly, my perspective has been that there's really two groups of people. There are the people who um, want to grow and be better and are always looking to grow and learn how to do things better. And they tend to be the people that tend to accept responsibility and, and um, look at mistakes as opportunities for growth. And then there's the group of people that are more the glass half full people who like to wade in (laughs) the muck and really get stuck in things and talk about they're just screwed. I mean, the minute one thing goes bad, their whole day is screwed. You hear that mentality. And I mean, if I can, I, I mean, there's the ability to move from one group to the other. I mean, it happens, but I think that's why this with adversity comes opportunity saying means so much because it's that shift from focusing on the adversity to seeing the opportunity in it. And if I can help build that bridge from one group to the other and get people over to that other side and start again, mindset is a muscle. The people in the first group are people who their mindset has always been focused on the negative. 
if they can see that glimmer of hope or that positive in the negative, hopefully that mindset muscle can change and shift. And, you know, they can have that um, new focus or mindset through life. I want to talk a little bit about that mindset shift, right? Because sounds so simple, sounds so easy, but we know it's not, right? It's, it's not, not, it's not. And so maybe you can share with the audience, and, and we might have to do that when we come back from the commercial break, but you can share with the audience, kind of take them through how somebody would go about doing that. Tell them, you know, maybe some of the, the processes of they may need help to do it. They may be able to do it themselves. One of those things, what are the, what are the tools that they can use to be able to start thinking in those directions? And so we're going to come back and talk about that after the break. You're listening to the HR Power Hour on News Talk WLOB 100.5 FM, and we will be right back. Educational HR Radio is critical to your organization's success, and our sponsors understand the value this program brings to owners, C-suite professionals, and the HR community. We are honored and thank our sponsoring law firms of Verrill, Sheehan Finney, Jackson Lewis, and McLean Middleton. Our partner sponsors of Healthcare Purchase Alliance and Strategic HR. Want to be a sponsor of the HR Power Hour? Text 603 303 6124 and say, We want to be an HR Power Hour sponsor. Founded in 1958, Jackson Lewis is a national law firm with a local presence. The firm's 765 attorneys practicing in 54 locations throughout the U.S. and Puerto Rico provide a wide range of resources to address every aspect of the employer-employee relationship. HR professionals, business and in-house counsels, and C-suite professionals count on Jackson Lewis as it has one of the most active employee litigation practices in the United States. Contact them today at jacksonlewis.com. That's jacksonlewis.com. In a recent survey, investors shared what they felt were the greatest threats to their retirement. It's no surprise the most common threats include stock market volatility, economic uncertainty, conflict in the Middle East. Unfortunately, there are many threats beyond your control that can affect your retirement savings. At GoldCo, a leader in precious metals, the team believes one way to protect your investment portfolio is with physical gold and silver. GoldCo will send you a free one-ounce silver American Eagle coin, and all you have to to do is pay for shipping and handling. No obligation. 100% free. Call 855-971-2006 to get your free Silver American Eagle coin. Man, do I love card night. You ready, boys? You got a king? Go fish that! Oh, come on! This is WWE superstar Titus O'Neil. The smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. Take time to be a dad today. Learn more at 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. In today's highly regulated climate, customized HR solutions are needed more than ever. Career Management Associates can partner with your existing HR department for projects or even serve as your outsourced HR team. From compliance and compensation to investigations and employer relations, CMA provides you trusted HR solutions. Call 207-780-1125 or visit cmacareer.com. At highway speeds, the average text takes your eyes off the road for about five seconds. That's enough time to travel the length of a football field. 
StopTextsStopRex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. And we're back, and you're listening to the HR Power Hour presented by CMAKorea.com and Veril-Law.com. I'm your host, Stephen Chulo, and today we are talking with Carrington Smith. She's the author of the book, Blooming, Finding Gifts in the Shit of Life. Of course, you're listening to the HR Power Hour on hrpowerhour.com and podcast on all national podcast channels. We appreciate you coming, liking, and sharing. We appreciate it very, very much. All right, Carrie, it is our time to talk about how somebody can do this. We talked about it in the last segment, reasons why they should. Being positive, being negative, two types of people. We talked about all that. Now let's wrap it up here a little bit and kind of talk about how do you make the journey? How do you decide to be in a different group? How do you decide to change your way? And how do you really make this happen in a nice process? Because it's not easy. It's not. Well, and, and to imply that there's actually a, a smooth and even process, I think is a little unfair. For everybody, the journey is different. I think for most of us, um, first of all, I'll speak to women out there. And that is that, you know, we're not allowed to get mad. <laughs> you know, society doesn't let us get angry. And I think that for us, the first step in this process is whenever something happens, whether it's a difficulty or trauma, is to acknowledge that we're in pain. And as I like to say, own own that trauma or that difficulty and go ahead and feel that anger, but let it move through you. As I like to say, I have to reach rage to reach forgiveness. So it's so important to address these things and not push them under the bed and ignore them because that way they continue to percolate in your life if you don't address them. And I think the people in that first group tend to have those things still percolating in their life because they've never addressed them. So that's the first step in the process. So once you've acknowledged, okay, look, this horrible thing happened to me, then you seek help and how, whatever way that help looks. I mean, for me, uh, I, I did a lot of therapy at one point, I actually spent a year on the couch every day, you know, five days a week with a therapist, basically getting deprogrammed from my childhood negative memories. So I, you know, put in the investment, it was real, you know, financial time investment. And then once I got to the other side of that, it was so important to me to surround myself with people who would support me. And so creating boundaries. And I like to joke, if I need to sell t-shirts that say, you're not allowed to take a dump on my life. Because what happens is people just show up with their stuff and they just dump it on you. And I'm wait a second, I'm having a good day here. I'm trying to get through life and create, you know, setting boundaries and surrounding yourself with people who are supportive and loving and want to see you succeed. It's critical to, you know, moving through these things and moving into a better headspace. That's a funny quote. And um, I bet there probably is a t-shirt somewhere, you know, because this seems to be a t-shirt <laughs> for everything. So I'm not yeah. going to doubt that there isn't one somewhere <laughs> in terms of it. Um, you know, it's everybody's journey is different. We know that. How yes. can employers help employees get through this? What is it that something that an, a leader can do to when they recognize that an employee is hurting? Well, I think, first of all, having regular one-on-ones so that 
you know, it's not like it's eight people in a zoom call and you notice that one person's kind of out of sorts. I mean, it's taking the time to reach out and have one, you know, regular one-on-ones with whatever team you manage and making sure that the people they manage are doing the same thing. It's making that time investment and that actual, you know, um, dialogue that you're having with that person, letting them know that they're cared for. And then, you know, providing them with resources. So a lot of companies have these, you know, plans that provide free therapy or whatever, um, really letting people know that there's no stigma around that and, and encouraging people to utilize it. I think that's so important. No, I agree with you. You know, one of the things that you talk about in the book is a little bit about some ways that the readers can find gifts among their own failures. Talk yeah. to us a little bit about that. Well, I think it's so important to embrace what's happened to us. Again, I think that we most people don't want events to define them, and so they want to sweep them under the rug. And so one of the things that I really advocate here is acknowledging and owning what happened to you. I know so many women who've been sexually assaulted or sexually harassed, and they just have never talked about it. They've shoved it under the rug. And what they don't realize is that by doing that, it's actually still harming them. So bringing that to the surface in a safe place, whether that's a therapist's office um, or with a close friend, but acknowledging what happened to you so that then you can realize that there's something that you need to work through. And if you don't do that, you're going to stay stuck. I stayed stuck for years until I dealt with my issues. And it wasn't until I faced them head on that I was able to move through them and importantly, reach a place of peace and a a place where I could then turn around and serve others and be there for other people. But I first had to acknowledge what had happened to me and see it for what it was and then claim it and realize this is actually part of me. I mean, let me give you an example real quick. Um, somebody asked me what my greatest gift was. And I said, it's intuition. And they asked me, well, where did you get that gift? And I said, well, I got it from walking on eggshells as a child, because as a child, in order to avoid, you know, a blow up in the household or whatever is going to happen, I constantly walked on eggshells and I developed these extra long tendrils of always knowing what was going on around me and when something was going to happen next. That turns out is a gift now today doing what I do, being an executive search. It's a huge gift. It's a massive advantage. And so that same person asked me, well, you know, if you're grateful for this gift of intuition, are you then grateful for your past? And I suddenly realized I was because I would not trade it out. I would never give up this gift. It's too important to me and who I am. And by having gratitude for the gift, I realized I could not divorce having that gratitude for that gift from what caused it in the first place. And that also gave me freedom to forgive my father. I suddenly reached a place of gratitude for my past and the ability to forgive my father. And so it was in that one conversation that everything shifted for me. And I suddenly realized I have this beautiful gift from everything I went through. And you know, I reached a place of gratitude and forgiveness. That's a big move, right? Yeah. And, and that's a yeah. big shift in terms of a mindset and, and pretty powerful in terms of that you made through that, you know, that type of impact. Why do you think um, people are so 
I guess having the urge to compare themselves to others, is that just societal? Well, I think it goes back as far as um, Cain and Abel, doesn't it? I mean, (laughs) it really does. Um, It's definitely at the root of our society, but boy, is it toxic. And, um, you know, I learned that, you know, comparison is the thief of joy. So, you know, Instagram and social media where you're comparing yourself, particularly to something that isn't even real, it can only set you up for failure and hurt. And so I think it's so important to learn to love yourself for who you are and, you know, understand that God created us all to be different because our greatness is in our differences. And as I like to say, I like to quote RuPaul, you know, I wasn't born to fit in. I was born to stand out. And it's those individual qualities and differences that make us stand out. And nobody, you know, is reaches greatness without being different. So why are we always so busy trying to make everybody look and act like everybody else? I think if we really embrace that, it changes how we view things. You're probably right. It's just not what most people do. I'm not saying right. it's right or wrong. It's just not what most people do. And yeah. I, it's 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 hard sometimes to think outside the box. It's hard to have the courage to get outside of your your comfort zones. And that goes for everything, right? In terms yeah. of personal and business life, it most certainly does. We are listening, of course, to the HR Power Hour on News Talk WLOB 100.5 FM. And we're going to be right back. Founded in 1958, Jackson Lewis is a national law firm with a local presence. The firm's 765 attorneys practicing in 54 locations throughout the U.S. and Puerto Rico provide a wide range of resources to address every aspect of the employer-employee relationship. HR professionals, business and in-house counsels, and C-suite professionals count on Jackson Lewis as it has one of the most active employee litigation practices in the United States. Contact them today at jacksonlewis.com. That's jacksonlewis.com. Titus O'Neill. The smallest moments can have the biggest impact on a child's life. Take time to be a dad today. Learn more at 877-4DAD-411 or visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. In today's highly regulated climate, customized HR solutions are needed more than ever. 
Career Management Associates can partner with your existing HR department for projects or even serve as your outsourced HR team. From compliance and compensation to investigations and employer relations, CMA provides you trusted HR solutions. Call 207-780-1125 or visit cmacareer.com. And we're back, and you're listening to the HR Power Hour. I'm your host, David Chulo, and you're listening to HR Educational Radio, presented by cmacareer.com and feral-law.com. Yes, we're talking with Carrington Smith today. We're talking about blooming her book, Finding Gifts in the Shit of Life. Boy, oh boy, oh boy, what a book title that is. <laughs> that ought to get the the people going, what did he just say? That's it. Yeah. I'm just saying. So yeah. I, I wasn't stuttering. You know, uh, Carrington, you've had quite a career. Tell yes. me a little bit about it today yeah. and, uh, and where it's going and what it's been. Yeah. Well, so let me just quickly reference. We were just talking about um, how being different is a great way to, to stand out. And I learned very early in my career, actually, as I was in law school looking for a job, um, I made some observations that have really guided me in my career and in life. And starting out with the year I got out of law school, um, well, when I was looking for clerkships was in the 90s during the SNL crisis. And all of my cl- classmates were using these resume services because we didn't have email back then, <laughs> where they would hire somebody to send their resume to like the top 200 law firms in the United States. And they would hope and pray to get a clerkship that way. I saw this happening and I saw that the results were not good. Everybody was doing the same thing and getting the same results. So I asked myself, cause I was like, I have to have a job that pays me. Like I was in all kinds of, you know, debt and needed money. And so I really scratched my head and said, how am I going to stand out? I was top 20%. I wasn't top 5%. So I really had a hard time finding a job. So what I did is I decided to do something different. So I did research on the different markets. I found a smaller market that was booming, which at the time was Atlanta. It was the fastest growing city at that time. I identified a practice area that was also thriving. I found a firm that was thriving in that practice area in Atlanta. Then I worked my network and found someone who I had in common with one of the name partners. I sent one letter, not 200. I sent exactly one letter, but it was a carefully constructed letter where I wrote everything I knew about this partner, about his firm, about this practice, about the person we knew in common, how, how I could serve him, how my impact that I would have on the firm. He picked up the phone and called me when he got that letter. And so I learned and I got a clerkship, a paying clerkship. So my first, you know, sort of career moment was learning that swimming against the crowd paid off. Uh, Fast forward a few years to when I first was applying for a job, the market again was terrible. And I was interviewing for a job. The title of the job was associate slash client liaison. The uh, partner that was doing the interviewing said he received over 300 resumes. And of those 300 resumes, only 50 referenced the client liaison aspect of the job. The rest were just, they mailed in their resume. And he said, of those 50, we've asked 10 of you to write us a letter on why we should hire you. 
So I scratched my head again and thought, how am I going to stand out? A few months earlier, I'd been on a plane flying from uh, New Orleans to Austin. I went to Tulane Law School. And on that plane, I sat next to the mayor of Austin, the former mayor of, of Austin. And I recognized her. We started a conversation and she gave me her business card. And she said, you know, if you ever need anything, Carrie, here's my card. So I wrote this letter and said, why hire me? Ask Carol Keaton Rylander, the former mayor of Austin. And I explained how I just had demonstrated the very skills they were looking for. I had sat by the ex student, the former mayor on the plane and developed a rapport to the point she handed me her card. And so I walked through that. And the guy, again, when he got the letter, he picked up the phone and said, you got my attention. But it's these, you know, these standout strategies where I have done things different than other people that have served me well in my career. And that's really what the book is about, doing things different, thinking differently. And of course, the book is blooming, finding gifts in the shit of life. Carrington Smith is the author. Carrington, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. We appreciate it. Uh, good luck with your book. It's a great book. Everybody can go Thank to Amazon.com, so of course, and find it. You can go to HRPowerHour.com after this. You can see Carrington. You can see about her book, and you can like and, uh, and order it right from the site if you would like. Fantastic. Thank you so much for having me, David. No, we loved having you on. You're listening to the HR Power Hour on News Talk WLOB 100.5 FM. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and catch us every week at 10 a.m. on News Talk WLOB 100.5 FM or 1310 a.m. and streaming live at WLOBradio.com. Podcasts of this show and every show are available at hrpowerhour.com. Have a great week, everyone, and remember, HR management is critical to your business's success.